Welcome to Mafia, a new podcast telling stories of America's criminal underworld. Gotti assumed the position of head of the Gambino family. And using the name Donnie Brasco, I was able to infiltrate the uh, Bonanno uh, crime family in New York City. Bugsy Siegel is an American mob legend. One man changed the whole texture and landscape of crime in America. Listen to Mafia every Wednesday on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your favorite shows. 15 seconds. Guidance is internal. 10, 9, ignition sequence start. Space nuts. 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Space nuts. Astronauts report it feels good. Hello and welcome to Space Nuts. My name's Andrew Dunkley, your host, and with me, the expert in the field of astronomy that talks to us every week about all the weird stuff that happens around the universe, uh, Fred Watson from the Australian Astronomical Observatory. Hello, Fred. Hi, Andrew. Um, plenty of weirdness this week as well. Yes, there's always <laughs> something a bit strange going on out there or down here, and yeah. it's, uh, it's fascinating to talk about. We're going to just have a quick look at uh, Comet 67P, which has uh, been pursued by the Rosetta probe uh, for quite a while now, and it, uh, I think it uh, sent down a, a little uh, observer onto the surface. Was that right, uh, called uh, Billy? Yeah, uh, we'll get an update on that because there's yep. been a bit of news. Exploding stars and uh, what they have done to Earth. Uh, one would wonder if that's actually possible with the vast distances in space, but it seems so. And um, there's a, there's a uh, you know, right down to Earth, in fact, under the surface of the ocean, they're drilling the dinosaur crater near, um, near Mexico, uh, in, in the Gulf of Mexico, which is w the one that uh, killed all the dinosaurs off. We'll have a, we'll have a look at that uh, little mission. That sounds fascinating. So, Fred, to start off with, Comet 67P, what's going on? <laughs> so, Andrew, can you remember its proper name? Uh, the, 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 the comet's name? <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, Icy Dirt Ball? I have no, no idea. No, no it's, it's called um, Churium of Gerasimenko. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Right on the tip of my tongue. <laughs> on the tip of your tongue. Yes. Named after the two discoverers, actually, who discovered it uh, many years ago, in fact, I think in the 60s, if I remember rightly. But this comet um, has been in the news over the past two years because... Uh, it was the target of the European Space Agency's Rosetta mission. Uh, Rosetta has been very, very successful. Um, it has been orbiting the comet now for uh, actually not quite two years. Uh, it followed the comet, uh, as, as you said, uh, when the comet uh, itself got near the sun and uh, this sort of activity started taking place. Comets, as you said, are icy dirt balls. They're basically something like a a fairly loosely packed iceberg with a lot of dirt in them. And when they get near the sun, the ice evaporates and forms a tail, which is what we see in the night sky when you see a comet. Uh, and the dust is released from the surface and we see a tail of dust and a tail of plasma. So um, Rosetta is still in orbit around the comet. You're quite right, the lander fillet was uh, dropped onto the surface back in, if I remember rightly, it was November 2014. Mm. Uh, and didn't quite didn't, go to plan. That's right, it didn't grab hold. Uh, landed somewhere where it was in the shade, so its solar panels didn't get any uh, sunlight, batteries ran low, and we only got, I think it was... Um, 
it, it was about a day's worth of data that we got back from it before the batteries failed. I think it might have been 60 hours. I can't remember the number. Mm. So Phil I was, um, was a sad disappointment, really, uh, although it, it won the hearts of a lot of people because uh, there was a cartoon version uh, that uh, The Adventures of Phil I, which, which was sort of leaning under a cliff in the dark, uh, had lots of adventures, but really never came back to life. Uh, why is it in the news again? Well, um, one reason is that there's a lovely picture which, is, which has been across the web showing uh, the view from Rosetta of Comet 67P, its other name, uh, between uh, the spacecraft and the sun. So it's a backlit view of, uh, of 67P. And of course, 67P has got this curious rubber duck shape, yes. uh, now known to be because it is made of two separate objects that just coalesce together and a neck of material form between them. So it, you, the, the um, 67P silhouette view uh, shows that very clearly. It shows you've basically got two, two objects there with a, with a very thin uh, neck of material in between. And, and but the other, how big the, the comet is? Yes, it's about four and a half kilometres across. It's quite small, not, mm. not a big world. Of course, that means it's got very little gravity, and that's one reason why Phil I didn't catch hold and basically uh, just bounced around on the surface and wound up somewhere where it wasn't supposed to be. Um, the other news, though, is that um, ESA is now planning to actually try and land Rosetta itself on the comet in September. Was that part of the original plan? I don't believe so. Uh -huh. um, it, 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 I think it's something that has been probably dreamed up in the... It may have been in the original plan as a, as a, as a you know, a, maybe a, a one remote possibility. Uh, it's, the, the alternative is to leave it in orbit around the comet, but it won't survive being a long way from the sun. When, it, when the comet moves uh, to its mo um, greatest distance from the sun, which is, I think, out beyond the orbit of Jupiter, uh, it uh, is too cold for the electronics of the spacecraft to survive because there won't be enough energy coming from the solar panels. Mm. So it will under, under, undergo the same uh, shutdown process as Phil I did, and that will sort of bring everything to an end. So what the mission planners are going to do is... Uh, rather than just switch it off, they are going to try and land it on the comet. It, it won't be uh, a gentle landing. It, it, it'll be as gentle as they can make it, but they suspect... It'll be like spacecraft. my wife hitting the driveway. Uh, I, I will not go there, Andrew. <laughs> uh, I'm going to get you one day. <laughs> um, the, 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 the spacecraft... Rosetta doesn't have any landing legs, so it'll just basically dump itself on the surface. Mm. But if even if that happens and it's then damaged or destroyed afterwards, it will still send back really close uh, close range images of the surface of the comet and that will be invaluable and its other sensors will pick up information from the comet's surface so that will be uh, an invaluable end to the, pro the, the project so I well, think you and I... It would seem like a, a reasonable thing to do given that uh, you know, let it fade away and do nothing or, or give it one last shot at glory yeah, Exactly, glory and, um, you know, As a sideline, maybe they should get advice from the, the Russians as to how to crash stuff into things, they've been pretty good at it over the years. <laughs> Indeed, that's right well, um, crash is not the word that they want to use, but yes, just... Uh, Bring it down as gently as possible. We'll look. We'll, um, uh, you know, no doubt you and I will talk about this in a few months because I think it's going to be quite an exciting thing. Yes, indeed. Yeah, it's been a, a fascinating mission with all its uh, successes and failures along the way. It's, it's been a real mixed bag of events, hasn't it? 
But um, the, the good side is that the most extraordinary images of, a, of a, a world that is so different from our own, it's really hard to imagine. And, of course, lots of information about the, the makeup of the, uh, the molecules that have been found in those ISIS, 16 carbon-containing molecules, um, uh, maybe even the building blocks of, of life in, uh, in these uh, comets. It's, it's been a, uh, I think it's lived up to its name. Rosetta was named because people wanted to find the Rosetta Stone for, uh, you know, for how comets interact with the Earth. And I, I think that's happened. OK, Fred, uh, we will keep an eye on uh, 67P, whatever it's really called, which has already escaped my brain, but that's, that's you know... Churyumov Gerasimenko, how could yes. you possibly forget? Yes, so smart. <laughs> <laughs> You're listening to The Space Nuts with Fred Watson and me, Andrew Dunkley. Space Nuts. Uh, moving on to uh, another uh, extraordinary discovery, and that is uh, that uh, Earth has been affected by radiation in recent times, and we're talking long periods of time, uh, by exploding stars or supernova. Or is it, or is, what's the plural? Supernovae? Supernovae, that's right, yes, supernovae. Um, so exactly, um, yeah. when did they discover that these sorts of things were having such a, an impact on the planet? Because you would have thought with the distances in the universe that an exploding star would just be something that happened a long time ago and then we observe it and that's about it. But there's more to it than that. Yes, it, actually, it's, um, to answer your question, it's, it's, it's quite a long time since um, we recognise that stuff from supernovae has probably landed uh, on the Earth. Uh, it, it goes back, this story goes back to 1999. But what's really great about the story now is the new studies that have been done. Uh, it's all about uh, a, a radioactive isotope of iron. It's called iron 60. And iron 60 is something that um, is only produced in supernova explosions. It's not it's not um, something that's, you know, generated in the interiors of normal stars like um, some like normal iron is actually uh, uh, that, that um, uh, is found. Uh, actually, um, uh, it's, it's the, the last element that's produced in, in normal stars. Mm. <clears throat> so iron 60 has been found all over the world um, in sediments, mostly on the sea floor. And what that suggests is that. Uh, if you can track this, if you can dig core samples, get them up and look at them, then you might find evidence of repeated events. You know, if you find more than one layer of iron 60, it might tell you that there are uh, that, that there are there is evidence from uh, from the literally from under the ground that supernovae have exploded in the Earth's neighbourhood. And if you can look at the amount of this stuff, maybe it gives you an idea of the strength of of the explosion, how big it was and how distant it was. So um, that is uh, the first of the studies that's being reported in, uh, in, this, uh, in this news. Um, the, the traces of radioactive iron have been basically analysed and it looks as though the, the uh, blast... Uh, it's, it's about really blasts having occurred in about the last two million years. Mm. So <clears throat> these peaks of, uh, of uh, the isotope, uh, sorry, these de deposits of the isotope show a peak at about two million years ago. And so that's one study. It's sort of given us a time scale for, for when this event happened, if it was just one event. But there's another study uh, which has been done, uh, I believe, uh, in Germany, uh, which has... Um, modelled 
what the Earth would feel from supernovae exploding from known debris that we can see out in space. In other words, we can see the debris of supernova explosions. They're uh, unsurprisingly called supernova remnants. Mm-hmm. And you can get a, an idea of when these things would have exploded and where they were. And it, it looks like they've actually hit Pada because uh, the uh, nearest of the uh, blasts that would have occurred took place about 2.3 million years ago. And the second nearest was one and a half million years ago. So these two, uh, these two events both might have contributed to this peak of the iron 60 distribution at a, a, a date about two million years ago. It's a, it's a really nice study. I mean, they don't fit exactly. And that's partly because you can't, you can't be specific about the exact date when the iron deposit was made. But you can get a pretty good idea. And the fit is actually really within the error bar. So I think this is uh, extraordinary work, um, stuff that um, that is, I think, um, you know, I think uh, very well aligned with the observational work from looking at, through big telescopes or using big telescopes with the geological stuff of digging up this uh, this uh, iron 60. There is another peak in the iron 60 distribution that's between apparently between six and a half and 8.7 million years ago. Uh, but that's not really, um, you know, we don't know where that might have come from. We can't see the supernova remnant that might have caused that, at least not yet. It's not been identified. OK. Didn't the Chinese observe a supernova? Oh, gosh, it's, it, 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 there's recorded history of it anyway. That's right, yes, in the, in the 11th century. That's uh, it. I can't remember the exact date. Mm. Um, it was not very far from uh, 1066 when Comet Halley was observed, but the uh, the Chinese did record a supernova then. Would there be any remnants of that? That, um, that is, a, yes, it's an object that has been, that's well observed, in fact. It's... Uh, um, uh, it's Because um, they do fade for, for something so cataclysmically huge they do fade very fast don't they they fade very fast initially but they need a they leave a remnant and the remnant can last for actually for millions of years right um, and that's what has been observed here with uh, with this research and do they know if there's any impact of that particular supernova the chinese observed on earth um or is it doesn't it, work in that time scale it's um it's that's a very good question um and it may be the difference between particles whizzing through space at almost the speed of light and light whizzing through space at the speed of light. Um, the, that, that's a, it's a, it's a very good question, uh, which I can't answer. I don't know the answer to that. But it's, it, it may be that the, you know, the radioactive ion from that explosion has not yet reached us. Uh-huh. Um, I, I'm pretty sure um, my memory is beginning to kick in. I'm pretty sure that that uh, explosion observed by the Chinese is what gave rise uh, to the Crab Nebula, which is a supernova remnant in the constellation of Taurus. Very, very well studied. That actually rings a bell in my <clears throat> yeah, brain. Yeah, a very right. dull, slow <laughs> it's vibration. A bit, but... It's a bit dull in mine. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, um, yeah, it's something uh, fascinating and um, yeah, something that will be continued to be studied, I'm sure. Yep. You're listening to Space Nuts with Andrew Dunkley and Fred Watson. Space Nuts. Fred, our uh, final topic today brings us down to Earth, literally, in fact, below the surface of the ocean, uh, and that is a project to drill into the dinosaur crater. This is the crater that was caused by a massive impact 
that they now are almost certain was the demise of the dinosaurs, hence the name Dinosaur Crater. Now, this uh, particular crater is located uh, in um, between North and South America, basically, and uh, it, it, it's only fairly recently that they, uh, they, they managed to locate the impact point, and it's, uh, it's obviously now a fascination, and they want to find out more about it. Uh, that, that's right. So we've known, <clears throat> yes, we've known about this crater for, for a number of years. It's, it's very eroded. It's not anything that looks like a crater on the moon. It's uh, only when you study uh, gravimetric evidence, the measurement of gravity, uh, that you can see that there is a circular dip, uh, depression there, uh, which actually um, sort of intersects the, the coastline of the Yucatan Peninsula. That's where it is. Um, it's called the the, the crater is called Chicxulub, uh, which is uh, a Mexican word, a very Mexican word. I might not be pronouncing it properly. We all call it Chicxulub, uh, and it, it's uh, as I said, it's uh, it's basically on the uh, on the uh, on the north coast of the Yucatan Peninsula. So, when you look at when you analyse the, the the gravitation of this area, which you can do by actually uh, overflying it um, uh, with, uh, with a spacecraft, and that has been done, uh, then you can see that there is, there is this uh, circular region. But what is of interest to scientists is uh, something called the peak ring. And the peak ring is a ring that would have been formed in the centre of this crater. The crater itself is about 100 kilometres in diameter. It's huge. It's a very large crater uh, made by something about 18 kilometres across, um, a, a small asteroid, I guess you'd call it. But, of course, this thing's coming in at, um, you know, 20 or 30 kilometres per second, which is why uh, it makes such a big impact. Uh, the crater was probably 30 kilometres deep when it was formed, which is pretty staggering. Yeah. But um, it then collapsed um, and left this depression about 200 kilometres across and a few kilometres deep, which is sort of what we still see. But there's, there's a sort of rebound phenomenon when one of these happens, and that's why you get an inner ring. Sometimes you get an inner uh, range of mountains, uh, the central peak of a, of, a, uh, of a crater. But under certain circumstances, you get a ring, which is called... The yeah, peak. the same effect as when you drop a stone in water and it goes down and then the water pops straight pops back up. up again. Exactly, that's mm. exactly right. Um, so this crater, of course, was formed 65 million years ago when the, when the dinosaurs disappeared from the geological record. Um, and so it's now covered with uh, deposits, mostly of limestone, uh, and that um, is where the scientists who are who want to investigate the the actual material of this peak ring because they believe that might contain some of the material of the impactor itself, the the, the object that that caused the the uh, crater. Um, and so these are thought to lie <laughs> quite a few kilometres uh, under the surface. And so because it's underwater what you have to do is send a drilling rig out there. Uh, and uh, this drilling rig is, a, is something called a lift boat. It's uh, quite extraordinary. It's a, a boat that carries these legs that are plonked down onto the, uh, onto the ocean floor, and that lifts the boat up, uh, and then it starts drilling. Uh, this, this lift boat is called Myrtle, by the way, <laughs> which is a delightful name. <laughs> um, Put on your Myrtle. <laughs> that's right. So the, the feeling is... Um, that once you hit the, the, the ocean floor, and I don't think that's very far below, I think it's relatively shallow, 
Uh, once you hit that, though, uh, you have to drill through something like um, 500 meters before you hit the boundary, uh, the what's called the Cretaceous tertiary boundary. This is the, the layer in which the dinosaurs disappeared. Uh, and then uh, what they're apparently going to do is um, put a, a casing in when they've, when they've drilled down five or 600 meters. And then they start coring, they start drilling down and digging up cores down to a depth of about a kilometer and a half which is where it's believed the, um, there will be evidence of this peak ring uh, material. And maybe uh, we will learn a lot about not just the thing that made the impact, but one of the things that's quite exciting is uh, how, how quickly life returned to normal in that region. They're, you know, looking for fossil evidence of, uh, of life that was actually after the blast. Uh, marine organisms, for example, they may have uh, re-established themselves, uh, you know, after just a few thousand years. So the, the um, likely uh, sediment samples are going to show some really interesting stuff. One of the other things they're hoping to find is evidence of a, a tsunami, because uh, this thing probably hit when it was uh, when it was an ocean at that time, and would have caused probably a global tsunami, which may well have been massive, uh, rocked around the earth. That's mm. right, several times, and so uh, they are expecting to find evidence of that. And then at about 800 kilometers, sorry, 800 meters below the surface, uh, the the rocks from the peak ring itself. They're hoping to do this within a couple of months. So I think um, we might find uh, some results coming from this, I don't know, within the next year or two, because it will take them a while to analyze what comes up from the, from, from the drilling. Uh, it's being conducted by an outfit called the European Consortium for Ocean Research Drilling, or ECORD, and it's part of a program called the International Ocean Discovery Program. I think it's a great idea to, yeah. to try and uh, probe all this stuff. No, I think it's fascinating. Um, there's so much that can be learned. And uh, you know, the other question that popped into my head with the tsunami is if it went around the world, the waves would have had to meet at some other point on the planet, which um, fascinates me too. I wonder what the Indeed, impact would have right. been there. Yeah, if you'd had a, a planet purely made of ocean, they would have met uh, directly opposite the, the impact site. But of mm. course, we've got a planet that's got uh, large land masses on it, and that would have made the tsunamis uh, divert and would probably have focused them at some level. And that, yeah, it would have been very chaotic motion. I, I, I believe so, yes. Yeah. Uh, no surprise that we lost the dinosaurs as a result, but uh, perhaps we wouldn't be here if that hadn't happened. Indeed, that is the case. That's right. Mm. <laughs> All right. We'll watch with interest, as always. Fred, thank you so much again for your time. Great pleasure, Andrew. Always good to talk. Look forward to catching up with you next week. That sounds great. Fred Watson from the Australian Astronomical Observatory. And from me, Andrew Dunkley, thanks again for listening in. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and send your questions or your comments to us uh, that way or through Twitter. Uh, and we look forward to catching up with you again next time. Space Nuts. You've been listening to the Space Nuts podcast. Subscribe to the full podcast on iTunes, Audioboom and Stitcher or your favourite podcast distributor. This has been another quality podcast production from Sites.com. Welcome to Mafia, a new podcast telling stories of America's criminal underworld. Gotti assumed the position of head of the Gambino family. And using the name Donnie Brasco. 
I was able to infiltrate the uh, Bonanno uh, crime family in New York City. Bugsy Siegel is an American mob legend. One man changed the whole texture and landscape of crime in America. Listen to Mafia every Wednesday on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your favorite shows.